Chapter Twenty of A Son at the Front. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chad Horner. A Son at the Front by Edith Wharton. Chapter Twenty. For a month, Campton painted on in transcendent bliss. His first stroke carried him out of space and time into a region where all that had become numbed and atrophied in him could expand and breathe lines images colours were again the sole facts he plunged into their whirling circles like a stranded sea creature into the sea once more every face was not a vague hieroglyph a curtain drawn before an invisible aggregate of wants and woes but a work of art a flower in a pattern to be dealt with on its own merits like a bronze or a jewel during the first day or two his hand halted the sense of insufficiency was a goad and he fought with his subject till he felt a strange ease in every renovated muscle and his model became like a musical instrument on which he played with careless mastery he had transferred his easel to mrs tockett's apartment it was an odd patchwork place full of bold beginnings and doubtful pauses rash surrenders to the newest fashions and abrupt insurrections against them where louis philippe mahogany had entrenched itself against the aggression of art nouveau hangings and the frail grace of eighteenth-century armchairs shed derision on lumpy modern furniture painted like hobby horses at a fair it amused campton to do mrs tockett's against such a background her thin personality needed to be filled out by the visible results of its many quests and cravings there were people one could sit down before a blank wall and all their world was there in the curves of their faces and the way their hands lay in their laps others like mrs tockett seemed to be made out of the reflection of what surrounded them as if they had been born of a tricky gripping of looking-glasses and would vanish if it were changed at first campton was steeped in the mere sensual joy of his art but after a few days the play of the mirrors began to interest him mrs tockett had abandoned her hospital work and was trying as she said to recreate herself in this she was aided by a number of people who struck campton as rather too young not to have found some other job or too old to care any longer for that particular one but all this did not trouble his newly recovered serenity he seemed to himself somehow like a drowned body but drowned in a toy aquarium still staring about with living eyes but aware of the other people only as shapes swimming by with a flash of exotic fins they were enclosed together all of them in an unreal luminous sphere mercifully screened against the reality from which a common impulse of horror had driven them and since he was among them it was not his business to wonder at the others so through the cloud of his art he looked out on them impartially the high priestess of the group was madame de dolmetsch with harvey mayhew as her acolyte mr mayhew was still in pursuit of atrocities he was in fact almost the only member of the group who did not rather obstinately 
disavow the obligation to carry on but he had discovered that to discharge this secret task he must vary it by frequent intervals of relaxation he explained to campton that he had found it to be his duty to rest and he was indefatigable in the performance of duty he had therefore with an expenditure of eloquence which campton thought surprisingly slight persuaded bolston to become his understudy and devote several hours a day to the whirling activities of the shrimp pink bureau of atrocities at the nouveau luxe campton at first could not understand how the astute bolston had allowed himself to be drawn into the eddy but it turned out that bolston's astuteness had drawn him in you see there's an awful lot of money to be got out of it one way or another and i know a use for every penny that is miss anthony and i do the young man modestly explained adding in response to the painter's puzzled stare that mr mayhew's harrowing appeals were beginning to bring from america immense sums for the victims and that mr mayhew while immensely gratified by the effect of his eloquence and the prestige it was bringing him in french social and governmental circles had not the cloudiest notion how the funds should be used and had begged bolston to advise him it was allowing to this that the ex-delegate to the hague was able with a light conscience to seek the repose of mrs talcott's company and with a smile of the widest initiation to listen to the subversive conversation of her familiars subversive was the motto of the group every one was engaged in attacking some theory of art or life or letters which nobody in particular defended even mr talkett a kindly young man with eyeglasses and glossy hair who roamed about straightening the furniture like a gentlemanly detective watching the presents at a wedding owned to campton that he was subversive and on the painter's pressing for a definition added why i don't believe in anything she doesn't believe in while his eyeglasses shyly followed his wife's course among the teacups madame de dolmetsch though obviously anxious to retain her hold on mr mayhew did not restrict herself to such mild fare but exercised her matchless eyes on a trip of followers the shock-haired pianist who accompanied her recitations a straight-backed young american diplomatist whose collars seemed a part of his career a lustrous south american millionaire and a short squat sicilian who designed the costumes for the pianists and produced ballads all these people appeared to believe intensely in each other's reality and importance but it gradually came over campton that all of them excepting their host and hostess knew that they were merely masquerading to campton used the hard working world of art this playing a bohemia seemed a nursery game but the scene acquired an unexpected solidity from the appearance in it one day of the banker georgenstein who strolled in as naturally as if he had been dropping into campton's studio to inquire into the progress of his own portrait i must come and look you up campton get you to finish me he said jovially tapping his fat boot with a malacca stick as he looked over the painter's head 
at the canvas on which Mrs. Toggett's restless image seemed to flutter like a butterfly impaled. You'll owe it to me if he does you, the sitter declared, smiling back at the leer which Campton divined behind his shoulder, and he felt a sudden pity for her innocence. My wife made Campton come back to his real work, doing his bit, you know, said Mr. Talkett, straightening a curtain and disappearing again, like a diving animal. And Mrs. Talkett turned her plaintive eyes on Campton. That kind of idiocy is all I've ever had, they seemed to say, and he nearly cried back to her, but, you poor child, it's the only honest thing anywhere near you. Absorbed in his picture, he hardly stopped to wonder at Jordanstein's reappearance, and at his air of bloated satisfaction, or his easy allusions to cabinet ministers and eminent statesmen. The atmosphere of the Talkett House was so mirage-like that even the big red bulk of the international financier became imponderable in it. But one day Campton, on his way home, ran across Dastry, and remembered that they had not met for weeks. The ministerial drudge looked worn and preoccupied, and Campton was abruptly recalled to the world he had been trying to escape from. You seem rather knocked up. What's wrong with you? Dastry stared. Wrong with me? Well, did you like the communique this morning? I didn't read it, said Campton curtly. They walked along a few steps in silence. You see, the painter continued, I've gone back to my job, my painting. I suddenly found I had to. Dastry glanced at him with surprising kindliness. Ah, that's good news, my dear fellow. You think so? Campton half sneered. Of course, why not? What are you painting? May I come and see? Naturally, Campton paused. The fact is, I was bitten the other day with a desire to depict that little will-o'-the-wisp of a Mrs. Talkett. Come to her house any afternoon and I'll show you the thing. To her house? Dastry paused with a frown. Then the picture's finished. No, not by a long way. I'm doing it there, in her milieu, among her crowd. It amuses me. They amuse me. When will you come? He shot out the sentences like challenges, and his friend took them up in the same tone. To Mrs. Talkett's to meet her crowd? Thanks. I'm too much tied down by my job. No, you're not. You're too disapproving, said Campton quarrelsomely. You think we're all a lot of shirks, of drones, of international loafers. I don't know what you call us, but I'm one of them, so whatever name you give them, I must answer to. Well, I'll tell you what they are, my dear fellow, and I'm not ashamed to be among them. They're people who've resolutely, unanimously, unshakably decided for a certain number of hours each day to forget the war, to ignore it, to live as if it were not, and never had been, so that, so that, so that beauty shall not perish from the earth. Campton shouted, bringing his stick down with a whack on the pavement. Dastry broke into a laugh. Allons donc, decided to forget the war. Why, bless your heart, they've never, not one of them, ever been able to remember it for an hour together. No, not from the first day, except as it interfered with their plans, or cut down their amusements, or increased their fortunes. 
you're the only one of them my dear chap since you class yourself among them of whom what you've just said is true and if you can forget the war while you're at your work so much the better for you and for us and for posterity and i hope you'll paint all mrs talkett's crowd one after another though i doubt if they're as good subjects now as when you caught them last july with the war funk on he held out his hand with a dry smile good-bye i'm off to meet my nephew who's here on leave he hastened away leaving campton in a crumbled world lewis dastrey on leave but that was because he was at the front the real front in the trenches had already had a slight wound and a fine citation staff officers as george had wisely felt were not asking for leave just yet the thoughts excited by this encounter left campton more than ever resolved to drug himself with work and frivolity it was none of his business to pry into the consciences of the people about him not even into jordanstein's into which one would presumably have had to be let down in a diver's suit with oxygen pumping at top pressure if the government tolerated jordanstein's presence in france probably on the ground that he could be useful so the banker himself let it be known it was silly of people like adele anthony and dastrey to wince at the mere mention of his name there woke in campton all the old spirit of aimless random defiance revolt for revolt's sake which had marked his first period of his life after his separation from his wife he had long since come to regard it as a cruel and juvenile phase yet here he was reliving it though he knew of the intimacy between mrs talkett and the brants he had no fear of meeting julia it was impossible to picture her neat head battling with the blasts of that dishevelled drawing-room but though she did not appear there he heard her more and more often alluded to in terms of startling familiarity by mrs talkett's visitors it was clear that they all saw her chiefly in her own house that they thought her according to their respective vocabularies a perfect dear en femme exquise or en bonne ville ah poor julia and that their sudden enthusiasm for her was not uninspired by the fact that she had got her marvellous sheaf demobilised and was giving little war dinners followed by a quiet turn at bridge Campton remembered Madame de Tranley's rebuke to Mrs. Brant on the day when he had last called in the Avenue Marigny. Then he remembered also that it was on that very day that he had returned to his painting. After all, she held out longer than I did, poor Julia, he mused, annoyed at the idea of her being the complacent victim of all the veracities he saw about him, and yet reflecting that she was at last living her life as they called it at mrs talkett's after all the fact that george was not at the front seemed to exonerate his parents unless indeed it did just the opposite one day coming earlier than usual to mrs talkett's to put in a last afternoon's work on her portrait campton to his surprise found his wife in front of it equally to his surprise he noticed that she was dressed with a juvenility quite new to her and for the first time he thought she looked old-fashioned and also old she met him with her usual embarrassment i didn't know you came as early as this madge told me i might just run in she waved her hand toward the portrait i hope you like it he said suddenly finding that he didn't 
it's marvellous marvellous she looked at him timidly it's extraordinary how you've caught her rhythm her tempo she ventured in the jargon of the place campton to hide a smile turned away to get his brushes i'm so glad she continued hastily that you've begun to paint again we all need to to oh not you and i do we he rejoined with a scornful laugh she evidently caught the allusion for she blushed all over her uncovered neck up through the faintly wrinkled cheeks to the roots of her newly dyed hair then he saw her eyes fill what's she crying for because george is not in danger he wondered busying himself with his palette mrs talkett hurried in with surprise and apologies and one by one the habitues followed with cheery greetings from mrs brant and a moment of constraint as they noted campton's presence and the relation between the two was mutely passed about then the bridge tables were brought mr talkett began to straighten the cards nervously and the guests broke up into groups forgetting everything but their own affairs as campton turned back to his work he was aware of a last surprise in the sight of mrs brunt serene and almost sparkling waving her adieu to the bridge tables and going out followed by georgenstein with whom she seemed on terms of playful friendliness of all strange war promiscuities campton thought this the strangest end of chapter twenty recording by chad horner